Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. There are two things. There are, there are two third rails that are so often in the news and so rarely get the airing on my program. I'm putting the cards on the table that they warrant. Abortion and Israel. I mean, we talked about the overturning of Roe, of course, and the political implications. Yeah, we did that. The Dobbs case, the leak, the implication on the midterms, the implication for the next presidential, et cetera, et cetera. But beyond Roe being overturned and covering it in the moment, not a lot gets said about abortion here on a day-to-day basis, and Israel is the same. And you might ask me, well, Michael, you're on the POTUS channel and you've got 15 hours a week. How come? And I would say to you, because I'm not sure of the audience interest level generally. In other words, I know that to talk about abortion or Israel is, is to definitely move the needle with the very passionate few who then, when we get to the part where we open up the phone lines, if we do that, tend to dominate the discussion. I feel like not much changes in the debate. People dig in, they raise the same arguments, and fatigue you know, ensues with everybody else. Abortion and Israel. I'm not sure how many, even among the politically sophisticated in America who tend to listen to a program like this on the POTUS channel— understand the issue. And I don't profess to be expert. I I profess to understand the basics of what's going on in the Middle East because I visited. And by virtue of that visit, it gave me an education unlike anything I would have gleaned from just reading and watching television footage. Okay, Michael, get to it. Jeez, what are you talking about already? All right. By now, everybody ought to know that BB's on the break. Bibi Netanyahu is on the brink, and not because he's on trial for graft charges, and yes, there is that, but instead there's this. If you fly to Israel from the States, chances are you're flying to Ben-Gurion. I did. I flew from JFK, or was it Newark, to 
Ben-Gurion via El Al. That was an interesting experience, the way in which the, the screening process works. Talk, talk about profiling. We'd never stand for what they do, and I felt totally fine. After I went through that process, I, I knew everybody on that flight was going to be just fine, and I slept like a baby. Well, Ben-Gurion is closed today, or at least Ben-Gurion was closed as of early this morning when I did my final read-in for this program, and not because of a threat of terror, but because of these domestic protests. Uh, in the case of the airport, it's a strike. And this is a situation that's been brewing for 10 to 12 weeks. It's, it's been the cause of enormous protests, unprecedented protests against the government. And today, as I come on air, it's not just, it's not just an airline hub, it's also a port. Workers at Haifa, which is the largest port in Israel, have now joined the strikes that have brought much of the country to a standstill. The port in the northern Israeli city of Haifa is one of the country's main hubs. The most recent civil unrest, all a result of Prime Minister Netanyahu this weekend. When I say all a result, I mean now in the most immediate sense of Netanyahu firing his defense minister, because his defense minister criticized this government attempt at judicial overhaul. His name is Yov Gallant. He's the now dismissed defense minister. You may you might remember when recently I talked about uh, Lloyd Austin going to Israel and meeting with Gallant to try and exert some pressure on the Israeli government not moving forward with this attempt at so-called judicial reform. Well, he's the guy who's now out. On Saturday night, he urged that Netanyahu's attempt at judicial change be postponed, saying, I won't be a party to this. And this came after Gallant was dealing with the issue of military reservists being increasingly reluctant, refusing to fulfill their volunteer duty in protest of the same overhaul. Additionally, today, just to try and give you a feel, and then I'll, I'll backfill on what it's all about, the... Azrieli Group is a large chain of Israeli malls. They announced today they're closing in support of the strikes. McDonald's has closed all of its restaurants across the company, across the country. All a part of the largest union federation calling a historic general strike intended to bring pressure on Netanyahu to halt his judicial overhaul. Aaron David Miller was here recently the Middle East peace negotiator for both Republican and Democratic administration, such a bright guy, provided such an important uh, backgrounder for us. I I recently uh, listened to it just to refresh my memory of some of the things that he has said. I've had Aaron David Miller. I've read to you from Tom Friedman. I've read to you from Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor, all saying kind of the same thing about what's going on. My explanation is as follows. It's the exposure of Netanyahu's refusal to pursue a two-state solution. That's what I think is going on. What's coming to the fore here is, is his refusal to negotiate with the Palestinians, yielding to the forces that just put him in power. Maybe this is where he was all along. I happen to think that it is. Netanyahu is leading his sixth government. And in order for him to return to power, in fact, I just thought of something, TC. When I was on Bill Maher's program, by now, four months, five months ago, Netanyahu was the top of show guest. Do you remember? He had either just won and was about to take, he was right on the, 
right on the verge of of regaining power. Well, the way in which he's been able to come back and lead his sixth government is because he joined forces with the ultra religious and the ultra nationalists. Those are two different things. And in return for the support that they gave him, this very slim majority that allowed him to come back into power, he's avoided a peace process with the Palestinians and has allowed instead further establishment of outposts, settlements in the West Bank, annexation being the ultimate goal. The West Bank is that area under Israeli. Now, do I use the word or not? This will get me. This will touch the third rail if I say occupation. Do you remember when Chris Christie uh, went to Israel on on part of a presidential campaign? I guess that would have been 2016. Do I have these facts right? And upon arrival, he he announced to everybody that that he had just flown over the quote unquote occupied territories, and it's like a groan of, ooh, he shouldn't have said that. Well, he's talking about the West Bank, and that's what I'm talking about. It's the main portion of the Palestinian territories seized by Israel by virtue of the 67 war. That's what we're really talking about. We can debate that it's where Netanyahu always was all along, meaning on the issue of never wanting to cede any of this ground, but that he's there now is is beyond debate. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. So 
What is it about the judiciary that has caused 100,000 Israelis to recently take to the street? I would explain it this way. Israel's about to celebrate its 75th anniversary. When Aaron David Miller was here recently, he said that it's still a new nation, one with its borders and identity still not fixed. They don't operate under a constitution. They've got a series instead of basic laws that are kind of tethered together to provide what we would regard as a constitutional style framework. But in the end, they have two branches of government, not three. They've got a government headed by a prime minister. It's a parliamentary system. And they have a judiciary. The judiciary is a check on the government, meaning the prime minister and the parliament. But right now, there is threat where Netanyahu is supportive of this move to enable the parliament by one vote to overrule the work of the judiciary. And it's the effect of a triple threat, maybe a quadruple threat. When I had Aaron David Miller on the program recently, he explained it as follows. In a big picture sense, one of the drivers here is that the the coalition that he put together that I guess he had to rely on to come back to power, thinks that the legislature is a more reliable partner than the judiciary to annex the settlements in the West Bank. Is that what this is really about? I think that's one part of it. But you can't can't escape the other two pieces, the other two drivers of judicial reform. Yes, the religious Zionists would like to neuter their Supreme Court so they could pass legislation regarding what they want to do uh, in the West Bank. Uh, and in Jerusalem as well. The ultra-Orthodox really see the court as a threat to their way of life and a constraint on um, conscription to to escape conscription. Got it. And there's Netanyahu who wants to immunize himself. Got for, it. It's a for, his, for, his, for his own problems. A perfect storm. So Netanyahu is seeking to allow the parliament the, and, and, the, and the parliament itself I mean, I, I don't want to make it, it, it look like it's all coming from, from Netanyahu. It's, it's not. It's coming from the ultra-Orthodox and the ultra-nationalists. And what are they seeking to do? They want to give the parliament the ability to overrule the Supreme Court by one-vote majorities and also to effectively give the government the, the power to appoint judges. Imagine, by the way, if that were the case in the United States. We don't have a parliamentary system, but imagine if we had... Congress provided the opportunity to overturn any Supreme Court decision by one vote. In Israel, let me be fair, what do the supporters of this say? The supporters say it's necessary to curb the influence of unelected judges, that the judiciary is out of control and therefore the parliament needs the power to rein them in. To the critics of this, they say it'll remove one of the few checks on government overreach and... It will protect Netanyahu from the graft charges that he currently faces. He's on trial right now. It's just taking literally years to conclude. Michael Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor, a strong defender of Israel, nevertheless wrote an essay recently under the headline, Israel is courting disaster. He began it this way. In more than 20 years of public life, I have steadfastly supported Israel and its people in both word and deed, including by building medical facilities there, co-founding a leadership center, supporting its innovative local programs, and funding other good causes. I have never gotten involved 
in its domestic politics or criticized its government initiatives. But my love for Israel, my respect for its people, my concern about its future are now leading me to speak out against the current government attempt to effectively abolish the nation's independent judiciary. And he explains it this way. Under the new coalition's proposal, a simple majority of the Knesset could overrule the nation's Supreme Court and run roughshod over individual rights, including on matters such as speech and press freedoms, equal rights for minorities, and voting rights. The Knesset could even go as far as to declare the laws that it passes as unreviewable by the judiciary, a move that calls to mind Richard Nixon's infamous phrase, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. Tom Friedman. Tom Friedman from the New York Times assessing this situation. The new factor that could really tear apart Israel's democracy is Netanyahu's scheme to essentially end the independence of the Israeli Supreme Court in the name of judicial reform. The maneuver's breakneck speed, I'm skipping around, is actually exposing what a total fraud Netanyahu is when he sweetly insists to foreign leaders and journalists that he simply wants to pass a few innocent technical fixes to bring the Supreme Court in Israel more in line with the U.S. or Canada or France. Really? Says Friedman. Ask yourself this question. What Israeli leader would risk a civil war at home, a breach with Jewish Democrats across the world, a break with America and significant damage to Israel's high tech miracle? And now open talk by Israeli soldiers that they will not die to protect a dictatorship. What Israeli leader would risk all of that for just a few technical fixes? Netanyahu would risk all of that only for something very big, very important, very personal. And that is a judicial reform that he hopes would end his trial on breach of trust, bribery, and fraud charges, which could land him in prison. The judicial reform would also give his right-wing coalition the unfettered power to build any settlements in any place, to seize any Palestinian land, and to pour tax dollars into Orthodox religious schools where young people have only to study the Torah, not math, science, or literature, let alone serve in the army. So that's what it's all about. That is what it's really all about. Israel has been a third rail. And here in the United States, Republicans have become the party to embrace support for Israel at any cost. I mean, do you remember when actually this just popped into my head? Do you remember when John Boehner invited Bibi Netanyahu to come and speak to the Congress on Obama's watch on President Obama without even telling the White House a total thumb in the eye? just emblematic of of exactly how partisan this has become in the United States. Jews overwhelmingly, I'm yes, I'm going to paint with a broad brush now, vote democratic. But there's much more division, I think, among among Jews who are voting democratic about current support for Israel than there is for Republicans. Mitch Mitch McConnell said this is an internal matter. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it develops politically here at home, who stands where. The Biden administration has thrown everything at it in terms of of administration emissaries going to Israel. Jake Sullivan, the CIA director, the secretary of state, Mark Milley, Lloyd Austin, they've all visited trying to privately cajole Netanyahu. But what is Biden going to do now, given the state of affairs in Israel? And of course, I started out by referencing Donald Trump in Waco. Remember, 
you know, Trump is like the tiger in the tall grass. If Trump gets in, I'm sure the best thing that could happen, although Netanyahu was critical of who was the anti-Semite that Trump recently had to dinner and then forgot about it. And I didn't know who the guy was. You know, Netanyahu was critical of that Trump dinner. But believe me, Netanyahu, like Putin, I'm sure, is hoping that it's Trump who gets returned to office. Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes. Thank you. One other thing, and then I'll, then I'll get off it and hope that you'll want to engage with me. And if not, we'll talk domestic politics uh, that are not related to Israel. But in the file that I keep, TC knows that I've got a filing system for recurring themes on the program. I clipped something in 2012 by Donnie Dayan, then the chair of Yisha Council of Jewish Communities in Judea and Samaria, under the headline, Israel Settlers Are Here to Stay. And the reason that I clipped it is because I, I thought that it was very honest from the perspective of this individual representative of a lot of the forces I'm talking about now that Netanyahu is representing. When he said in this essay, stop talking about a two state solution if it means we're surrendering the West Bank, because guess what? We're never doing that. And I thought I, I need to save that as a perspective that just is free of all of the spin. Here's the way it began. Whatever word you use to describe Israel's 1967 acquisition of Judea and Samaria, commonly referred to as the West Bank in these pages, New York Times, will not change the historical facts. Arabs called for Israel's annihilation in 1967, and Israel legitimately seized the disputed territories of Judea and Samaria in self-defense. Israel's moral claim to these territories and the right of Israelis to call them home is therefore unassailable. Giving up this land in the name of a hallowed two-state solution would mean rewarding those who've historically sought to destroy Israel a manifestly immoral outcome. Skipping ahead. The Palestinians have repeatedly refused to implement negotiated two-state solution. The American government and its European allies should abandon this failed formula once and for all and accept that the Jewish residents of Judea and Samaria are not going anywhere. On the contrary, we aim to expand the existing Jewish settlements in Judea and Samaria and create new ones. This is not as it is often portrayed a theological adventure, but it is rather a combination of inalienable rights and real politic. Our presence, not just the so-called settlement blocks, is an irreversible fact. Trying to stop settlement expansion is futile, and neglecting this fact in diplomatic talks will not change the reality on the ground. It only makes the negotiations more likely to fail. And then the conclusion... If the international community relinquished its vain attempts to attain the unattainable two-state solution and replace them with intense efforts to improve and maintain the current reality on the ground, it would be even better. The settlements of Judea and Samaria are not the problem. They are part of the solution. Well, that perspective, which I clipped from 2012, is the perspective of those who are now guiding Netanyahu, who, who he is responding to in wanting the judiciary to be able to be overruled by the parliament by one vote. In the end, it's, it's all about making sure that the West Bank remains in Israeli hands and that there is no two-state solution if the two-state solution is predicated upon giving up any of that area. That's it. So, uh, 
What do you think, TC? The third rail? We touched it's, it. Well, it's a good... We're going to have this conversation or not? It's a good tutorial. It's happening. It's happening right now. It'll be very interesting to see the reaction politically here at home. Ben-Gurion, as of this morning when I came on, closed. The ported Haifa closed. 100,000 people in the streets of Israel. You know, it's not terror that closed those things. It's, it's their protest of their own government. And how we respond to it. How do I think we should respond to it? I, I, think, that, I think that Biden needs to... Uh, draw a line with Netanyahu publicly because the the private cajoling is not working. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Hey gang, welcome back. So you've heard my perspective, my thoughts as to the very latest coming from Israel. You also heard me reference an interview that I did two weeks ago, March 10, uh, with Aaron David Miller. He's a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He has he has been a Middle East negotiator on behalf of Republican and Democratic administrations here in the United States. I thought, let's roll that interview as well, because my update that you've already heard combined with Aaron David Miller from March 10 will really offer a full perspective of understanding this situation. Hey, gang, headline from Tel Aviv. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in Israel stresses need for independent judiciary as legal reform protests disrupt his trip. Let me just give you the lead. It says Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin stressed the importance of an independent judiciary on his visit to Israel on Thursday as thousands took to the streets across the country to protest against government proposals to overhaul the legal system. 
Austin, whose schedule was rearranged to keep his engagements close to Israel's main international airport, told a news conference that both countries shared values of democracy and freedom of the rule of law. Quote, as President Biden has said, the genius of democracy, of American democracy and Israeli democracy is that they both are built on strong institutions of checks and balances and on an independent judiciary. This was after a meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who I think had to be flown by helicopter to meet up with the defense secretary because of the protests taking part in the streets. Some headlines recently from both news and opinion pieces here at home. How about this? American Jewish leaders sharply criticize Israeli plan to curb judiciary. Or Netanyahu is shattering Israeli society. That's on a Tom Friedman column, as is American Jews. You have to choose sides on Israel. Then there's Michael Bloomberg. Israel is courting disaster. What's it all about? I've got the perfect person for the job in Aaron David Miller a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment, host of Carnegie Connects, former State Department analyst, advisor, negotiator in Republican and Democratic administrations. Aaron, thank you so much for coming back to the program. I know you can break this down for us and help us understand. Michael, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Your your listeners are fortunate to, to have you as a host. Hey, no one wants to hear that but me. Yeah, well, I'll repeat it. I'll read it again before we... <laughs> no, please don't. So, um, look, go is, ahead. This is a, quite an extraordinary room. I think it, frankly, that you, that you lead with the headline, for Secretary of Defense of the United States of America, whose primary brief is security issues, Iran, uh, prepositioning, exercising with the Israelis to be commenting on the need for ju- judicial reform is really quite remarkable, as, frankly, has have a parade of U.S. officials uh, and a presidential in- intervention and recession with a comment to Tom Friedman in a column of several weeks ago. So it's got the attention of the Biden administration, and it, it for good reason, because Israel is facing an unprecedented situation. It's a series of multiple crises, which all appear to be uh, con- converging at the same time. You've got an eruption of violence and terror on the West Bank and a set of very hardline policies on the part of the new Israeli government. You've got the threat of a nuclear Iran uh, that has continued to enrich at levels we haven't seen before. And you have unprecedented protests in terms of intensity, duration, composition, and objective that Israel has never experienced before over the issue of judicial reform. And I think, I don't think I'm being biased here to suggest that judicial reform is really an understatement. What, in essence, um, the new government wants to do for multiple reasons is to fundamentally transform the relationship between the two, not three. We have three branches of government with shared and separated powers. Israel has two. It has a, a government, an executive, headed by a prime minister who forms a coalition. 61 seats would be enough to do it. Netanyahu has 64 out of 120 in the Knesset. The only check, the only break, the only constraint on government power is an independent judiciary, particularly the Israeli Supreme Court. This coalition, for three reasons, number one, Netanyahu is seeking to somehow immunize himself from his ongoing trial for uh, fraud, fraud, bribery, and breach of trust, which, uh, by the way, Michael, is three years now. So there's no doubt that the Israeli judicial system needs reform, uh, and the high court, too. Maybe ours does as well. But that's one motive. Second, you have a, a party, a coalition of two smaller ones, uh, religious Zionism, who wants to uh, emasculate the power of the Supreme Court so they can pass legislation 
which will fundamentally bind um, the West Bank. Uh, Jerusalem's already bound to uh, to the, the state of Israel through through its annexation following the 1967 war. But they want to legitimize uh, annexation and ultra-Orthodox parties. There are two: the so-called Haredim, who see the court as a um, advocate. Uh, or as a way to pass conscription for uh, for their orthodox communities, which they don't, which they don't want, who interferes in the in the issue of certain religious issues, conversion, for example. So it's all dovetailing, and the Israeli public, according to the, the polls, at least sixty percent uh, are voting with their feet. I mean, they've had a hundred thousand people come it, out in it, protest. It's, it's really extraordinary. And one one last point on the issue of reform. This actually goes beyond, I think, the issue of judicial reform. I think you're also seeing a, a sort of struggle for what a, a majority of Israelis would like to believe is the identity of their country. This is the first Haaretz column, Nassan Pfeffer talked about this morning in a column. This is the first truly massive, secular, call it an uprising, call it an Israeli spring, against the dominance of religious parties who they feel have an undue influence in government, religious Zionists who want to uh, settle the West Bank even more than it's already um, been settled, um, and who want to impose a certain standard of religious behavior, um, get a free card on, on uh, get out of jail card with respect to conscription. So it's not too much of an overstatement to suggest, to use a quote from President Biden, this really a struggle for what I guess you could call, what John Meacham called the struggle for the soul of America. I don't think that's over-dramatization. I think this really is a fight about what kind of Israel the vast majority of Israelis want to live in. Aaron, uh, pardon some of my naivete, but I want to break down some of what Aaron David Miller just said. Lloyd Austin spoke of both Israel and the United States having strong institutions and checks and balances you say, yeah, but wait a minute, they don't have three branches the way we do. They have two. Am I correct in saying, nor do they have a constitution that defines all of the above? Yes, they have a series of basic laws which have been passed over the last 30 years, one of which, uh, a law of human dignity and rights, is incredibly essential uh, to preserving and respecting uh, the rights of Israeli citizens. So these basic laws are in lieu of, if Israel, you could call this, uh, Michael, a draft constitution. But at a time when the state was created, David Ben-Gurion, arguably Israel's greatest prime minister, probably for two reasons, did not want to have this argument about the character and nature of the state. Largely in part because I think he really did not want to challenge the religious parties and force a discussion on the issue. And second, the Israelis were under tremendous pressure in 1947 and 1948 from, uh, from Arab, Arab states with their own set of security problems. So they didn't address the issue of a constitution, which makes it even more more important that there be a check and a break and a constraint and, on governmental power. And so what's contemplated now is a move that, among other things, would allow, correct me if I'm wrong, Israel's parliament to overrule its Supreme Court decisions by a one-vote majority. Yes, with 61 seats, uh, you could essentially uh, cr- 
create a judicial override. And does 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 Netanyahu make the argument that this is necessary because the judiciary is out of control? Uh, yeah, but I think he's he, he understands, even though he's fighting an existential battle to somehow escape his ongoing trial. Um, he also understands that he's locked into, he's held hostage in a way by his coalition partner, partners who are serious about this legislation. It's gone through its first reading. If it goes through another two and it formally becomes law as a consequence of the majority in the Knesset, 64 seats, then I suspect you're facing not just a constitutional crisis, you're facing the paralysis of government because you have you'd have... You have had hundreds, if not thousands, of Israeli reservists, primarily in intelligence and the Air Force. Remember, Israelis have not fought a ground war, arguably, since 2006. The reservists are critically important for force readiness in those two issues, intelligence and the Air Force. You've had Air Force pilots refusing to turn up for uh, exercises and for meetings, and who are threatening if judicial reform is passed not to perform their duties. Okay, so let me... You really, have a, you really are, are approaching a major crisis. And, and let me just pursue one other aspect that I think I learned from Aaron David Miller, which is that in a big-picture sense, one of the drivers here is that the, the coalition that he put together, that I guess he had to rely on to come back to power, thinks that the legislature is a more reliable partner than the judiciary to annex the settlements in the West Bank. Is that what this is really about? I think that's one part of it, but you can't you can't escape the other two pieces, the other two drivers of judicial reform. Yes, the religious Zionists would like to neuter the Supreme Court so they could pass legislation regarding what they want to do uh, in the West Bank uh, and in Jerusalem as well. The ultra Orthodox really see the court as a threat to their way of life and a constraint on, on conscription their to. To escape conscription. Got it. And there's Netanyahu who wants to immunize himself. Got for, it. It's a for perfect his, for his for his own problems. A perfect storm. Okay. So now sh- shift your attention, please, domestically to how this is how this is impacting at home supporters of Israel. You know what what's the J Street response? What's the APAC response? Look, I think I you know I, I, a lot of this is what I would describe to you as Jewish inside baseball. Yeah, but I'm into it. So let's go. American Jewish organizations. Uh, look, I think that the U.S. support for, for Israel among Jews and non-Jews has focused on the intersection of a coincidence, high coincidence, not strict coincidence, but high coincidence of interests and values, all right? And the value proposition, which in my judgment is the broadest conception of what makes sense for American national interests to support like-minded societies, is now under threat with this judicial reform, with the Israeli occupation. And I think the American Jewish community, 5.8 million Jews, clearly divided, half of whom aren't affiliated with any organization or even a synagogue. But the active um, components of the American Jewish community, I think, by and large, understand what's taking place. And the other problem, of course, is Israel's become a, a, a third rail of American politics, like just about everything else in our society has become politicized. Yet the Republican Party as a sort of go-to Israel right or wrong party. And then you have a Democratic party that's divided among traditionalists who are very supportive of Israel but are increasingly willing to speak out, and a smaller wing of progressives, which are increasing their influence and number. So this issue is aligning uh, 
badly with the absence of bipartisanship. Right. In other in other <laughs> words, in other words, support in in its most simplistic terms, you've got more Republicans supportive of Netanyahu and this move to give the the legislative branch power over the judiciary. Meanwhile, the it's the Democratic folks here in the United States who are more concerned about it. Yeah, and and of course, seventy five eighty percent of of Jews vote Democratic. Uh, Mitch McConnell's view on uh, judicial reform, I think, embodies it. He basically says this is an Israeli internal matter. And yet you have leading Democrats, 92 of them actually just sent a letter, I think, to President Biden that is pushing him to intercede, both to constrain the, the, um, what's happening on the Democratic backsliding in Israel and to protect the uh, much maligned and uh, difficult to achieve, to say the least, two-state solution. So you, Republicans essentially, it's too simplistic, but Democrats essentially align with the anti-Netanyahu forces and Republicans with the pro-Netanyahu forces. It's too simplistic of a breakdown, but there's some truth to it. As a former Middle East negotiator, as a former State Department analyst and official, how will the Biden administration try and, and rein in Netanyahu, if that's the proper description? You know, I've watched this now for three months. I've right. never seen an administration. We've never seen an Israeli government like this, but I've never seen an administration react the way it's, it's reacted. Meaning what? You've had, you've had the uh, National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, visit Israel. You've had CIA Director Bill Burns visit Israel. You had Secretary of State Blinken visit Israel. There has been talk of an early Netanyahu visit to the White House. You've had Mark Milley, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense. You've never seen this kind of engagement as intensely and as early between any administration and any Israeli government. At the same time, I, I, w- I will tell you, based on three months of watching and talking to people, the Biden administration is going out of its way to try to avoid a public, sustained confrontation with Benjamin Netanyahu. They want to hold him responsible because he said, I'm the leader, uh, my hand's on the wheel. They're trying to focus attention on him, but I don't think they want to fight with the Israelis. It's bad politics. I'm sure as Biden looks at the Palestinian issue, he thinks to himself, the best I can do is prevent a confrontation. I won't be able to fundamentally improve the situation there. So it's also, for him, bad policy. Uh, But I think if you have an explosion, particularly on the security side, and as Iran looms large, I think the administration may have no choice but but to become much more deeply involved but but Aaron, Aaron, all of those officials that you just identified at, at the most senior level of government who've made the trip most recently, Lloyd Austin, I presume behind closed doors, they're telling Netanyahu, you can't do this. Right. I think the message is in private, Michael, you know, I wrote these talking points for 20 plus years. The messages privately are fine, but um, they're not going to actually do much to get uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's attention right now. He's listening far more to his coalition partners. Can I offer a final thought just under the headline of elections have consequences? Because as I'm listening to the analysis from Aaron David Miller, the senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment, I'm thinking to myself, if Donald Trump were in office right now, he'd be giving Netanyahu whatever he wanted. I think by and large, even though that relationship probably was more brittle than most people realize, that's correct, because you had an instrumental president who looked at everything through his own personal vanity and his own, his own politics. I mean, Biden cares deeply about Israel. 
the model for Biden is, is not Barack Obama. It's Bill Clinton. Uh, Pro-Israeli sensibilities are deeply implanted in, in Joe Biden's um, political DNA and his emotional DNA. And uh, again, I think the president's persona is also key as to why they don't want a major blow-up with, uh, with Netanyahu right now. The fight may come, Michael, but I think they're really trying to do everything they can to avoid it. So finally, wipe the slate clean. What is the takeaway for people who have perhaps not paid as close attention as they should be to this issue? Israel is approaching its 75th anniversary uh, next month. And after 75 years, neither the borders of the state of Israel nor the identity of the state of Israel is yet fixed. And that's not unusual for young countries. In 1851, neither 75 years after our independence, neither the borders nor the identity of our state, of our country, were fixed. Uh, there are, are many changes, um, and I, I think relatively grim times ahead, both on the security situation and on the political situation. But Israel's a keeper, and I suspect one way or another, in many respects like the United States, although Israel is not Switzerland, with non-predatory neighbors like we have in fish or east and west, one historian called our liquid assets. The Israelis will manage, I think, to figure this out and hopefully uh, retain um, their democratic character with some efforts to resolve the problem of the much-too-promised land, what to do about the Palestinians. That was excellent. I'm grateful. Thank you so, so much, Aaron David Miller. I really appreciate it. We learned a lot. We Thank learned, you, Michael. We learned a lot. Listeners are fortunate to have you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye. Aaron David Miller, ladies and gentlemen, senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment, host of Carnegie Connects, former State Department analyst, advisor, negotiator in Republican and Democratic administrations. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.